I don't understand the Bible. Which is exactly what you want the spiritual leader of your congregation (laughs) to open a sermon with. At least not all of it, I don't understand. Particular challenges to me coming up in the next couple of Torah portions. Next week we'll meet Korach. And then we'll meet um, Moses again striking a rock. And remember what happens this time when he strikes the rock? He strikes the rock twice. And what does God say? Out. You're not going into the promised land. You're not, you're not going to take the people there. It's called the May Merivah incident. Incident. You call May Merivah incident. It's like the Iran Contra affair or something. Like it adds some, some mystique to it. It means the waters of strife. That's what that is. The May Merivah incident where he strikes the rock. Because you did not believe in me to sanctify me before the nation of Israel, therefore you shall not lead the congregation into the land which I have given to them. And last week we talked about how life isn't fair. And man, that is not fair. After everything Moses has done, everything he's, everything he's put up with, are you kidding me? Face to face with God, faithfully leading the people out, going up, doing the Torah thing, coming down, leading them, listening to them complain. And because he hits the rock a second time, God pulls the reward. So I have to be honest, I don't understand parts of the Bible. I don't understand God in that way because I can't reconcile that. It's so incredibly unfair. And so I just don't understand. Until you do understand. Usually because someone brings a new perspective that you had not considered. Which is something that I ran into this week. And it always somehow, when God does that, seems to make some relevant sense to something going on around us. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. Judaism, Judaism loves Moses, and for very good reason. And for me, I love Moses. Moses, second only to Yeshua. There's so much about Moses that, that, that inspires you. And so much you can learn, and I respect him, I understand him, certain parts of him as a leader, but I think it's his humanity that probably speaks the most to me, as so does Yeshua's humanity to a certain degree, but Moses is is something different. And I say all that to say, it is nearly a sin in Judaism to speak anything against Moses. Moses' name in Hebrew, or his, one of his references is Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher. Like you just, you just don't talk bad about Moses. It's kind of like Yeshua, Jesus in Christian tradition. You would never say anything bad about Jesus. But I want to share, and, and, and as evidence that you do not speak against Moses. You can look at last week's Portia where Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses and Miriam's hand went, Miriam had leprosy. You can look next week when Korach speaks against Moses and the earth opens up and swallows him and his whole family. You don't talk bad about Moses. And I'm not gonna talk bad about him ever, but I want to 
Consider a New Perspective, which was suggested to me by Rav, Rabbi Yaakov Midan, who in a three-and-a-half-page commentary on something that wasn't even related to this, helped me see a side of things that might make the Bible make more sense to all of us, or God to make more sense to all of us in a certain way. Maybe it wasn't just the rock. Could it be there was more to why God prevented Moses and Aaron from entering the land? And could it be that it starts right here this week in this week's Torah portion in another incident called the Miraglim, the spies? Darren's five-minute Torah this week was called Espionage and Intrigue. These are, the, these are the spies, and we all know the story, right? They're sent in, and, and they, it's by, by very, very brief summary. They, they're sent in, they come back, they say it fl- flo- the land flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit, but. And of course, that's a big but, because what's coming next never needed to be said. Because if this was a fact-finding mission, If this was to go and scout out the land, they could have come back and simply said, this is the land flowing with milk and honey, and this is its fruit, and there are some challenges that we will need to overcome. These are the things that we need to have observed that we will be challenged by, which we will defeat. Why? Because God has already told us. But what did they say? It's actually one of my favorite messages that I ever gave was on the grasshopper myth. What they said instead was, but there's no way we're going to be doing this. I don't care what God said. There's no way we can do this. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we became grasshoppers in theirs. If you didn't hear that message, go back and listen to it because it's about your perspective, your self-perspective, and how you defeat yourself before you give anyone else a chance to do it. But that's not today's message. So here's what is happening. It's, a, it's good, you know... The, the, Caleb comes and he, he's desperately trying to change the, the report. He's trying to change it. It's a, it but, but wait a minute. Did you hear what I just said? They give the bad report. And Joshua and Caleb are the ones who are trying to correct it. This is a national crisis. We are on the, board, we are on the verge of something so bad And Joshua and Caleb are trying to reconcile it. Here's the question. Where were the leaders? Where were Moses and Aaron? Why did these guys do that? In times like these, leaders must lead. Listen to what is about to happen. We are on the doorstep of going into the promised land. We've been through all of this hell getting from Egypt to here, and now we're finally here. And what happens? We're going to go in. We're going to, you know, let's do this thing. No, we can't do it. We cannot do this. We cannot do it. And the, the answer should have been, okay, hold up, hold up. Let's get our bearings. Let's listen. Let's figure this thing out. But what did they do? They said, it's over, We are going back 
to Egypt. It wasn't just, oh, we missed the meat pots and the garlic and the fish and the onions. I said, let's appoint a leader and we're going back to Egypt. Do you understand what that would have undone? That would have undone everything that God had done up to this point. No Torah, no redemption, no Mount Sinai, no chosen people, no land. That is a massive national tragedy that is about to unfold before the nation of Israel. The end of the undoing of all of it. The undoing of Moses and Aaron for sure because they say, we need a new leader. But the undoing of all of God's promises, the redemption, the Torah, and really actually of God himself for Israel. Because if that had happened, in essence, what they're saying is we reject you, we reject your promises and everything that you said, the Ten Commandments are gone. What is number one? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and you want to go back. That's what you call a crisis. And where were Moses and Aaron? The text tells us what they did. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Now that sounds kind of good, but let's go back to another national tragedy of near equal significance. Who would have a suggestion for me as to where we faced another horrendous potential tragedy in the people of Israel? It was not that long ago. The golden calf. The same thing was on the verge of happening. A rejection of all things God, of Torah, of the promises. But listen to what Moses did in this incident. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They've made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. That is going to undo everything. And where was Moses? Oh, buddy, he was there. He showed up in force. You remember what he did? He broke the tablets. He said, this ain't happening, guys. And he said, everyone who's with me, go through, kill them all. He literally said, as soon as Moses came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing Moses anger burned and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Then he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered to him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother, every man his friend, every man his neighbor. Moses, as brutal as that sounds, was leading. He recognized the tragedy about to unfold and stepped up and said, uh-uh, not happening. This was Moses at his best. And on the next day, Moses said to his people, you yourselves have committed a great sin. Now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I make atonement for you. He dealt with the issue then. He had actually already talked to God before he killed anybody. He said, God, listen, 
Give them some space. Let me deal with this. Then he went and killed them all. Then he said, I can help. Let me help. I'll go up to the mountain. Maybe God will forgive you. He's leading on every side. Contrast that with the event we find here in Numbers with the Meraglim, the spies. What did Moses and Aaron do? They fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. So what? Why did Moses and Aaron do that? Why did they, why did they do that? If you were out of control, do you think I would lay down on my face in front of you and like just hope? Strike that from the record because I might. And it actually sounded like I was comparing myself to Moses, which I am not. Strike that comment from the record. I might let you do whatever you want because who knows, I'm, I might be just like Moses. Anyway, back on track. The people were out of control. They had been led astray. They had brought into confusion, brought into mass confusion and hysteria. And Moses and Aaron laid down in front of everyone. And I mean, that is everyone. The assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel, that's everybody. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb tore their clothes. Why? What's the significance of that? When do we tear our clothes in Judaism? When we are mourning the loss of someone. Rabbi Hirsch, very famous commentator, says that when, the, the, that when Moses and Aaron laid down, they were signifying that they were giving up their positions of leadership. Now think about that. When the people lose faith in their leaders, their leaders are powerless, powerless to lead. Moses still, Moses still pleads with the Lord here, but it doesn't have much of anything to do with the people at this point. He says, God, they're going to think badly of you in Egypt. Don't do this. It is possible that this is where the decision that Moses and Aaron would not lead the people into the land was made. And you can understand why. Now, you say, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they struck the rock twice and that's when this happened and God said you're not going in because you struck the rock twice. Listen to Deuteronomy 1 37, this happens later. This is after this incident. This is Moses' big thing where he's going to give his summary. He says, he's recounting the story of the spies at this point in Deuteronomy. And he says, then the Lord heard the sound of your words and he was angry and took an oath saying, not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb Son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him, to his sons, I will give the land on which he has set his foot, because he had followed the Lord faithfully. You with me? He's talking about the spies. None of you people are going in. And then he ends it with this. The Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, not even you shall enter there. 
Do you see that connection point? The connection point is he's talking about the spies incident and he connects that at that moment God became angry with him and said, you shall not enter there either. Those are Moses' words. At that time, God became angry with me. And doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that make so much more sense than striking a rock twice and that being the reason? The much more logical and consistent God type thing is you have surrendered your leadership, Moses, in this failure. You and Aaron, you shall not lead the people into the land. These two men who came and stepped up as leaders and tore their clothes and mourned for you but yet took action, they will lead them in. Because here's the thing. Moses was done, I think. I think he was just done. Last week he said, God, kill me. Kill me if this is what it's going to be. Now, obviously the Torah portions don't necessarily line up. Last week on last week in the Torah, Moses says, kill me this week. It's not that way. But it's no less heartbreaking to think of Moses like this. He loved the people. He had fought desperately for them. But in this moment of need, in this national crisis that threatened everything, he needed to lead. He had to show up and he didn't. And the people knew it. And they said, let's get a new leader who will take us back. And that's not the first time that had been said but they really meant it this time and they were headed back to Egypt. This was the moment for golden calf Moses to stand up and say, no, this is not happening. This is what we're doing. And he did not. For him to say, don't be swept away by fear, by insecurity, by lack of faith, by their negative influence. I'm going to go seek the Lord. We're going to make this happen. But he did not. Moses did not sin. That is not the suggestion. He just did not lead. And it cost him. Because leaders must lead at all times. As Deuteronomy 1 suggests, his fate was originally decreed at that time of the spies. However, he had a long period of time up until May Miravah, striking of the rock incident. But at that point, it was finalized. Moses, not going to do it. This is the prayer that Moses might have said, Lord, I am taking a stand for what I believe is right. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I have nothing left. I have come to the point where I can't face it alone. That might have been the prayer that Moses would have said. Do you know who did say those words? Martin Luther King Jr. 
in a time, there's a song called Never Alone Martin by Jason Upton. If you have any way to get music, Spotify, Apple Music, today you should listen to a song called Never Alone Martin. Jason Upton that I think is written about this particular event when Martin Luther King was sitting at the table and was at the absolute end of himself. And his wife recounts that prayer and she says, but at that moment, Martin stood up from the table and he was inspired, imbued with a new sense of confidence and he was ready to face anything It is incredibly difficult to lead, but leaders must lead. And sadly, today we continue to bear the consequences of horrendous leadership. Last week was a cry for personal responsibility. We called that blessed are the peacemakers. And I think you can probably see why I wanna connect what I just talked about to where we are right now in a modern day national crisis. Our world, particularly in the United States, is imploding around us. We are at a national tragedy leading to a national crisis, now leading to near national hysteria from the things I see and read. And I'm not that connected to the news and I'm not sure if it's better to be not that connected or like overly saturated connected where all you get is news. I'm not sure, but there's probably a point in the middle that's beneficial. But we are walking backwards. We are walking toward Egypt. These are times of uncertainty, of fear, of confusion, of disconnection, and those are nice words. Hatred, division, violence, tragedy, zero logic. We are in desperate need of leadership. And here's my fear. It became apparent in this interpretation I shared with you today. Moses and Aaron were no longer able or willing to lead the people. I'm not sure which. They did not have solutions. They did not have answers or maybe even the will to fight. And it becomes obvious as you read that the new leaders would need to possess those characteristics. And they rose up after tearing their clothes and said, we'll do it. And we know their names, Caleb and Joshua. And though the road would be long, here is my question, where in the name of God are our Joshua and Caleb's? Where are the leaders who will offer new solutions to old problems? Leaders who will not take the same positions that have not worked to this point. Leaders who will not repeat the same lines, play the same crappy politics, be moved by the same old, age-old motivation of money and power. Where are the leaders 
who will offer solutions that stand for God, who are not going to let the false reports circulate through the camp and derail us from what we should be walking toward. Where are the leaders? And as I've said from the beginning, quite unpopularly, as it might be based on some of the feedback I've received, these leaders will and must come from both sides of the current crisis we face. The people suffer, leaders, when you don't lead. Leaders, when you don't lead, the people suffer when you lay down, when you don't act. And so we all live in a democracy, right? And the solution, of course, is to get out there and vote, doggone it. Uncle Sam wants you. Well, yes, we should vote, but there's something else that we should be doing. It's called praying desperately. What we pray in the Amidah every single day, Hashiva Shoftenu Kavarishona. Restore our righteous leaders, God, as it was in the beginning. Well, when did we have righteous leaders? There have been some through history. Hashiva Shoftenu Kavarishona. Restore our righteous leaders. Restore our judges as in former times and our counselors as at the beginning and remove from us sorrow and sighing. Reign over us, you alone, Lord, with kindness and compassion and clear us in judgment. Blessed are you, Lord, the King, who loves righteousness and justice. That's the prayer. Hashiva Shoftenu. We need golden calf Moses. We need, we need spy Joshua and Caleb. And they're out there. And while the House and Senate are literally screaming at each other back and forth about whose police bill is better and fighting about it, the world is imploding. Where are the leaders? I read this from Herschel Walker. Yes, UGA Bulldog, national, like Georgia's favorite son, Herschel Walker. You want to know what Herschel said? He said that he would serve as a black leader to help all members of Congress together to solve problems of racial injustice and police brutality in the country. And here's the quote. We are civilized people, Walker said. Why can't true congressmen, women, and senators get together with leaders from all ethnic groups, both left and right, to find solutions? Unless certain people in Washington don't want to see a change. I'm volunteering myself as one of these black leaders. Joshua Walker. There's one. There's one. There are others. We need them to rise up and we need to be praying for them. God, help us that he would restore our righteous leaders. How do we know which side they're on? They, need, they should be on my side. Reign over us. You alone, Lord. You appoint them. You put them in place. You raise kings. You destroy kings. 
It, here, here is what one of God's leaders looks like. Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the base of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness stand before you. That's what righteous leaders will look like. Righteousness, righteousness and justice. We cannot legislate any of these changes, and I stand by that statement. I don't care how many laws you pass. I don't care how many things you do. If you do not affect the individual heart, you cannot legislate this out. And God only knows, I mean, next week we may not have a 501c3 anymore because I'm fairly political up here right now, but I haven't mentioned anyone by name. So we're, uh, whoever's listening from Big Brother, we're on good ground here. Every change, every step, every direction that righteous leaders walk toward affects change on some level, and that's what we're looking for. Hashiva Shoftenu. But there's another prayer in the Amidah that speaks to what we really need. It says, Et samach David avdecha, mehera tatzmech v'kano terum b'yeshua teka, ki l'yeshua teka kivinu kolayom. Baruch ata Adonai, matzmech keren yeshua, that is the traditional Amidah said three times a day by Jews. Did you hear that? Matzmiach, Keren, Yeshua, who restores the horn of salvation. That is the Joshua we need. And when it happens, may it be soon and in our day, we will be saved. Until then, it is our responsibility, yes, to vote, but to pray. And pray specifically with me right now, not this very moment, but at this time. Hashiva Shoftenu you can find You can find the English translation of the, of the Amidah anywhere online, and it's one of the later benedictions in there. Print it out. Have it with you. When you hear something horrendous, say it. Pray it. You can also find the prayer that I just concluded with, which says, Matzmech Karen Yeshua. If you don't have a Siddur, find it. Print it. Pray it. Let's believe it. And what we say is, Bo Yeshua Bo. Come, Messiah. Come. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.